Hi, this is Johnny. I'm your host, and you are listening to Music Seeds. The music that made us. All right, today again I have uh, JT Money with me, John Turner. We're going to sit down and have another conversation about music. Uh, I love the last one we did so much that I thought, let's do this again, man. You know, yeah. and it doesn't have to be so structured like, you know, I've been doing, I've learned. First thing I want to bring up uh, is, do you think shows are going to open up this year, bigger shows? Uh, I've heard rumors and stories. I mean, some of the festivals are putting on, are look to be going on, so who knows? Yeah. I mean, they have the... Uh, Hinterland, I think, is out in like St. Charles, Iowa. Like, okay. They, they were advertising that, so. Yeah. And then I think summer camp is coming back, but I think it's going to be later August this year versus like uh-huh. being Memorial Day weekend, so. Mm-hmm. But those are smaller scale festivals. I mean, those aren't going to have like 100,000 people there. Are they doing like, the, like, um, like we've seen in some of these other places where they're doing the um, like pod areas and social distancing and stuff, or is it going to be I, Yeah, I haven't seen it. I mean, I uh-huh. think as far as I know, they're selling tickets, but it might just be a limited number. They might be selling yeah. 20% capacity, 30%, but yeah. they at least have lineups. So I was happy to see, and I don't know if you got tickets for this or not. You might have. This is a Jason Isbell show. Finally got it like a December date I saw. Yeah, I but we're, no, not sure. we're not we're not sure. So. Yeah, it's like at this point, like yeah. I think if you bought the tickets, they're still good. Yeah, yeah. I, that's the only ones I had that didn't like have the refund. I'd, I'd be interested in going to that, just kind of, but just kind of gauging yeah. how shows go because they have another wave and then yeah. have to shut shows down again. Let's hope not. Yeah. But. I was thinking about this because there's not many people I can talk about this with, and you are one I can definitely do that. Um, we kind of delved into it a little bit last time with um, Blur and Oasis. Mm-hmm. What your favorite albums are that aren't popular albums that people might be turned on to? Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like when you go to like a music store or something like that. You see like top picks or whatever. You know, I used to love to do that also when I when I were in a music store. It's always neat to like rotate that stuff out when something new came in or you discovered something that you never knew about before. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite uh, Brit band and? It can be generational, too. Like, you can say, I have a favorite 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and now. Yeah, I think it kind of obviously starts with the Beatles. I think most people, uh-huh. either like Camp Beatles, Camp Stones. I mean, I think, like, mm-hmm. 60s and obviously in the very early 70s was the Beatles. And then mm-hmm. probably Zeppelin. I mean, I never got into, like, some of the other ones, like Slade and all those other ones that kind of yeah. popularize their sound. And then 80s, I mean... I like synth pop. I mean, I could like yeah. Depeche Mode stuff, like but I never got too deep into besides what the oh, singles okay. are. And then, uh-huh. obviously, I got into Oasis way before Blur. But I mean, those are both pivotal yeah. acts of the '90s that you can like in equal measure, but yeah. you don't have to claim one over the other. I mean, uh-huh. it just depends on the kind of mood you're in. So, yeah. especially like later day Blur, I don't really tend to because that became more of like the Gorillas side project versus like the actual Brit pop that they kind of. Mm-hmm came up with you know have you heard of the fontaines dc i've heard of them but i haven't really had heard much of them i went and uh i put on reminders you know for music and stuff when it, like there's youtube stuff or like even like albums coming out mm-hmm. and i went and had a reminder because they're they've been playing um old u2 shows on youtube mm-hmm. and so they played the red rocks one yesterday in its entirety which was really cool to yeah, watch. I saw a little bit of that so they had an opening act which was really cool like they streamed uh, an artist. Like, I guess they were doing it for the other ones, too, but I don't know who they were yet. But the Fontaine's DC was the opening stream. So they played them live somewhere, or a recording of them live somewhere. And 
I, w I never heard of them before, and I was really, really turned on by them, so I think you might like them mm -hmm. too. I'm um, definitely going to delve into more of them. You ever listen to like the Yardbirds? A little bit, I mean, but I mean, they were like the precursor to Zepp. Uh, Jeff Beck and Jeff Eric Beck, Clapton. Yeah. Clapton both, yeah. yeah, were both in that band. But they were also. like new Yardbirds, weren't they? Well, they rotated out yeah. all of those guys. It's amazing, like three of the greatest guitarists uh, of all time. And they were just bit players in the band. They exactly. They weren't even real like, stars of the band. Yeah. But then Clapton went on and became Cream, because Cream was where he really yeah. kind of... Yeah, Blind Faith, you know, yeah. with... Uh, with Steve Winwood and that's another guy too. Steve Winwood was like you yeah. know in three different bands. Spencer Davis group and uh, yeah, and so. Traffic. Yeah, yeah. I love that um that that whole '60s '70s era of Brit rock. Like those guys really got influenced by American blues and like changed the whole revolution of rock and roll. You know. Yeah. So that's something that I always find fascinating is that at one point like people were taking like 45s from the United States to, to England and that's how a lot of these artists got, you know, into blues with through like a lot of the the, the early uh, albums that were coming over there from uh, the blues era. Because I mean, you can argue that there, aside from Elvis, there weren't really any like major American rock stars of like the mid to late 60s. You I know? know, it's crazy, isn't so, it? And I'm sure there's arguments out there and I love, you know, like when people remind me, oh yeah, duh, you know, because I mean, if you think about longest running American rock band, I'm, I mean, the only one I can think of that's still going is Aerosmith, you know, is like for a long, long time. Like, who else, like, for an American rock band? Like, you had to be contemporary, it was like 311, I think, has had like the same lineup for like 30 years, or one yeah. of the few bands that have had a consistent lineup, like, yeah. and tour. Because, uh -huh. I mean, you gotta remember, like, Joe Perry left Aerosmith for like five or six years in the. Uh -huh. Late 70s and came back in like late 80s when they came back with oh, their Yeah, out. if you're talking original lineup, yeah, totally. I mean, because I mean, like, I, I kind of see like, if, like you're going to see bands today like Kansas that has like one guitarist and not yeah. any other original member. So it's kind of hard to call it a long lived band when you don't have, yeah, yeah, you know, like one core member. Like Leonard Skinner's down to like nobody who's an original <laughs> member. Yeah. So I always think that's really interesting that people will carry on that name. Um, I mean, unless it's like, um, like you know Boston, you know where the guy was. It was actually just one guy. Yeah. Where does the title of the band, you know, take into significance? Like, even if they sound the exact same as like the original lead singer, hey, Alice you're, you're losing. Yeah, you're. <laughs> it's not. You know, people are like, it's not Lane. You know, but the but guy can kind of sound like him. But it's Jerry Bon Camp Scott, you know, versus Brian Johnson. But guys. it's Jerry Cantrell in the band. And yeah. All yeah. his original guys, you know. Yeah. And then ACDC, same yeah, thing. I mean, yeah. kind of like you thought they were going to leave after Malcolm yeah. Young passed. But. Well, but, but then again, like this, you'll never see like Soundgarden, you know. I mean, you know, I would never think that they would... They would never be able to try on something. Yeah, like I mean, that would like, back to me. I mean, I could see them trying to maybe do what they did, you know, like, you know, like Rage and, and, and Chris did, you know, formed a whole other group, obviously. Yeah. I mean, it'd be kind of cool to see those remaining guys do a thing. I mean, obviously with Matt being in Pearl Jam now, it'd be a little bit more difficult, but... Mm -hmm. But um, that's one of those things. Do you carry on the name when somebody's gone? That's that's a, it's one of those things that's a touchy subject. You know, it's like it, it's not original. It's not the same. It's not the same. Or is it a cash grab? Are you doing exactly. it? Are you doing it yeah. mm -hmm. enriching and kind of like come up with new material? You're just going to go back and play your yeah. I mean, if you do a tribute show, I mean, there you go. Maybe if you usually sometimes saw far, former members of or something like you know on a sticker on an album or you know a CD yeah. or whatever like mm -hmm. that. Um, I, I've been going through my freaking 4,000 CDs and I was looking through and noticing like, oh yeah, like weird bands like Deconstruction was like the, the three members of Jane's Addiction without Perry Farrell in it mm -hmm. when that, they formed that band, you know, and then Perry 
Farrell formed his own solo career and stuff, and then Porno for Pyros and mm-hmm. things like that. And then Perkins went went and left Deconstruction, went over to, to do the stuff with Perry. Mm-hmm. But then they all got back together again then too. So, but I'm just going through these except CDs. For, yeah, except for him, I don't think he's in the band anymore. Or Stephen Perkins, I think it's the original core. Except the, the original core is all there except the bass player Eric Eric Eric. Eric, Eric. Yeah, I, thought, I think yeah, yeah. I thought it was uh-huh. the other way around. But yeah, like. Mm-hmm. I saw Perry Farrell play a couple years ago. I mean, he did a mixture of like his solo stuff, like Jane's stuff, and Porno for Pyro. So it's yeah. kind of a. Well, that's one of my all time favorite bands is Jane's Addiction. Those first two albums, man, are like, you know, Ritual, Daily Habitual, and. Um, Nothing Shocking. Nothing Shocking, thank yeah. you. Um, those two albums, I mean, are, are like epic 90s rock, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that, that was something I, we, we kind of delved into a little bit. I kind of talked about in a couple of the podcasts, but haven't gone really too far, and that is that. If you think about it, like from the 90 to like 96, a little bit of time had some of the best rock and roll bands come out as mm-hmm. far as like the grunge era went, you know? I mean, I mean, there was a lot of really good rock band, like grunge bands that came out from that era. But Yeah, but the fact that it like peaked so fast, like it didn't yeah. seem like it did, but I mean, six years isn't a lot of time if you think about it. Well, and I think that had to do with a lot of different things that I've not dealt with in a conversation, but I think has been in the back of a lot of people's head is that, so the industry changed in the 90s. 90s, you know, as far as like we went from like the pop 80s and you know the MTV era and the new wave and and all that, and then you know pop was still continue. Pop is always going to be there and it's always going to have its place, and I appreciate pop. But when that rock thing came, like in the you know late 80s, early 90s, you know, like even with the hair bands, you know, them being really popular. I mean, you got like some really great bands that came out of that with Guns N' Roses, and when we went right into that uh, grunge era, you, you mean if you think about it, we had. Uh, Obviously Nirvana, then Pearl Jam, then Soundgarden, then uh, Allison Change, Screaming Trees, Screaming Trees, uh, Mud Honey, Mud Honey, which kind of like kind of gained exposure to Seattle because I think they kind of peaked a little before Nirvana. And then... mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean actually those Screaming Trees and Mud Honey were like yeah influences like you said to like Nirvana and Pearl Jam. You know they it was one of those things where it's just like. You got turned on. I was actually like when you walked in today. I was pl- I was telling you I was playing the single soundtrack and even like you know the replacements and uh, Paul Westerberg. You know were an influence mm-hmm. to a lot of those bands. It's amazing to see these shifts in music. Even like with that whole '90s era of rock, you know a lot about it too. Is that like we had um, definitely maybe come out. You know when that was like them and what was what was the Blur's album? What was the big Blur album that broke? Well, probably for England it would have been like Park Life, but then. Uh-huh. Here, I don't think it was like really until they came out like that self-title that had song number two, but that was kind of a yeah. That was kind of their their changing point. They went more from the Brit pop to kind of the experimental, mm-hmm. kind of like Radiohead doing their Kid A or this kind. Yeah. It's ironic that you bring that up. I was reading an article in um, I've been going through the October two thousand issue of the uh, best albums in uh, Rolling Stone, and they talk about actually in here. Kid A and about how Tom York knew that he did not want to do the same thing as like Oasis and Blur. His whole thing was just trying to mimic earlier rock and roll bands is what he was he's saying here. That's not okay computer but I mean it's... Well this oh, but he about talks that. about Kid A though. Oh, okay. He goes, he talks about why he went from okay computer to Kid A and why it was important. I'm just going to read it. So in 1996 Radiohead got asked to go on tour as an opening act for Alanis Morissette. At the time, Britpop was dominating the UK music scene, but Radio had no interest in competing with Blur and Oasis. Quote, 
To us, Britpop was just a 1960s revival, guitarist Johnny Greenwood said in 2017. It just leads to peste. As soon as you go down that route, you might as well be a Dixieland jazz band, really. <laughs> that was one of the reasons why they became who they are. They were like, they wanted to, and they, we'll get into this more here. Um, obviously, I think it's very interesting that they got asked to do the Alanis Morissette opening tour. That shows that, shows that time period, too, that how big she was. Because that was like Jagged Little Pill, which was yeah, humongous. And they would have been off of the bands about that time. So Yeah. Before the Morissette tour started, they began cutting songs for their third album at Canned Applause, a primitive rehearsal space near, um, I'll probably screw this up, Didcot, England, D-I-D-C-O-T. Go ahead, email me, let me know I'm saying it wrong. <laughs> um, it's an Apple storage shed on a farm, recalled guitarist at O'Brien. There's nothing around. It's amazing how a lot of artists like The Who, Queen, like a lot of these bands did stuff like that. They went out to the country to make their albums. Well, I think, too, it was a matter of the time. I mean, like, sometimes the labels wanted them to just because they were less tempted to have to be distracted. Distracted. But, I think, they, but I think they also saw fit, too. They didn't want it to be as attracted as much because, uh -huh. realized back then, like, studio time was just... Expensive, too. Expensive. Even yeah. if they had the money, they didn't want to have to yeah when so. you're when you're creating your art or your work you gotta buckle down and yeah, say yeah let's, let's get let's get the shit done yeah that was an analog age so um for inspiration they immersed themselves in masterpieces like miles davis bitches brew which i think is awesome johnny cass at Folsom prism marvin's gay what's going on and the beach boys pet sounds you talk about four iconic albums right there so they, they were probably listening to those albums and going okay what do these albums have in common? Well, revolutionary sound engineering. Yeah. A lot of, you know, Folsom Prison was like one of those like albums that just, you know, to this day is like in the top 10 for any country album, easily. Mm -hmm. So they began writing songs just as they're grandiose and moving. There were no constraints, said OK Computer producer Nigel Godrich. It was the perfect thing. Lots of people, lots of ideas, and all we could pull in the same direction. After the canned applause demos, which I would love to hear those, I'm thinking <laughs> we're talking about from Kid A, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure if you search out the torrents, you could probably find it, or somebody has posted stuff on some yeah. website. Uh, the bulk of the recording took place at St. Catherine's Court, a nine-bedroom Elizabethan town manor house owned by actor Jane Seymour in Bath, England. The material ranged from the neo-prague rock of Paranoid Android, a cross between Bohemian Rhapsody and Happiness as a Warm Gun, to the haunting menace of climbing up the walls to Airbag, with a beat inspired by experimental hip-hop artist DJ Shadow. Uh, many of these songs were filled with anxiety about the dehumanization impact of technology at the dawn of the internet era. For fitter, happier, the band fed bland self-help instructions into a Mac computer voice program which read the creepy list before anonymously declaring man to be nothing more than a pig in a cage of antibiotics. Okay, computer's influence was so enormous that Tom York left rock behind together when the band returned to canned applause in 1999 to begin work on the next album, Kid A. I just knew we weren't going to repeat OK Computer, York said. We've never been able to repeat anything. I would agree. I mean, I think that Kid, uh, OK Computer is probably like the last album that 
by them that I thought was so cohesive. I mean, mm-hmm. there's other moments on their other albums that are good, but I think OK Computer is like a modern day kind of dark side of the moon where. Yeah. But that said, you can approach it in individual chunks where Dark Side of the Moon you have to listen to start to finish. At least OK Computer, you can pick up a couple random songs, but it's still yeah. such a well flowing album. Oh my gosh! So, and I think that's one of those those one of those bands where it's a lot of people don't get them, and I get that. But when you are into music and you appreciate music, especially the way we are, you really can sit there and dissect things and like pick things out and then. When I saw them live, too, I mean, it's just, you know, experimental rock. and I agree. Yeah, I, I think seeing them live, though, I like seeing the more up-tempo, kind of mm-hmm. more fleshed-out rock with them. Just because, like, you're going to a concert, you just don't want to see them yeah. stand there plinking away, kind of like the mid-tempo stuff. It's just kind of good at keeping the flow, you know? Hearing songs like No Surprises is kind of awesome, and then, like, yeah. also, and then they whip into, like, Paranoid Android, stuff that kind of, like, gets the crowd moving. It's kind of yeah. one of those... It's just one of those things where I just wish more people could appreciate them because mm-hmm. it's especially like people that love rock and roll music or like alternative rock and roll music for that matter. You know, well, Tom people, some people think Tom's you know an egomaniac, but he just doesn't. He doesn't just I think love fame. He doesn't like. Yeah, I, th- I think he's kind of like a Maynard from Tool. I think yeah. he doesn't want to be up in the front of the stage. I mean, yeah. it's just but he's not. A, he doesn't want to be a celebrity musician. He wants to be an actual yes. artist. And that, but that said, like I think when you try and reinvent yourself on every album, like you could alienate new fans because yes. it's harder to kind of get a gain. Like this album sounds like this, this album sounds like that. Yeah, but you know what? They can easily come back to this stuff and do. You know how Pearl Jam covers their whole album sometimes in concert. They could do that. Like we're gonna go to the, like even you two did it a couple of years ago with Joshua Tree. You could go and say, hey, well, this is the OK Computer, you know, tour or whatever, or the Kid A tour, and people are going to go and ro- you know, roves to go see them. You know? Yeah, but I, would, I don't know if they would be the kind of band to do that. But it's like, but like, it just comes back to my point. Even if it was for one show, you know, that people would be like, oh yeah, they would. And if they wanted to, you know, celebrate, you know, a, a anniversary um, milestone or something. I mean, like yeah, that. we're coming up almost on 25 years after that album first came out. Oh, isn't that like, fucking crazy? Oh. Okay. Them, to me, will probably be like, I was kind of getting at is like, you know, we have our 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and so on. Is that in 90s, to me, you know, yes, Oasis and Blur up there, uh, Radiohead it should never be overlooked as one of the best bands that ever came out of the, you know. The... Yeah, but to that extent, I think since In Rainbows, they haven't really gotten a lot of press. Even though they haven't released yeah. a whole lot, they've released some albums since. I don't think they're... But it's what's also smart about that, too, though. If you stay away for a while... And then you come back with something you've been working on for a long time. Like, Tool's last album was awesome. It took them a long time to make that album, you know? Like 15 years almost. Exactly. So, sometimes, you know, some of these, you know, works of art can be really great if you take the time to do it. But sometimes people can make things within a a week. You're like, wow, you made that in a week or whatever, you know? But then, look, it took Guns N' Roses like 25 years to make a new album. And it just flopped because it just spent so much time building up the hype. And it just wasn't... Oh, here's something I wanted to read to you, too. You ever heard of the band um, My Bloody Valentine? Yeah, they were another one of those, like, early 90s kind of shoegaze bands from England. But it's like, I don't think they got a lot of exposure here, so that's why I never really listened to them. They have their definite place on a lot of lists from oh, what I read. Like, and well, they influence a lot of bands, too. Reportedly, yeah. like, everyone you read stories about says they are the loudest concert that person has seen. Like, yeah. just kind of imagining They were, like, like part of that whole, like you're saying, the feedback thing, you know, it was yeah. like they were so big on it. So I'll read this one, too. It says, this is number 73, and it says, 
the album Loveless by My, My Muddy uh, Valentine. This vague, shimmering, gorgeous LP reportedly costs as much as $500,000 and nearly bankrupts the band's UK label. It was worth it, Kevin Shields and Blunda Butcher's guitars uh, build entire noise symphonies and they use sampling technology. Then a new thing for rockers to create a distorted, shifting sound that is less locating and beautiful. A whole shoegaze movement grew up in their shadow. Yeah, they kind of burst like early day verve before they kind of went more mm-hmm. poppy with like they had that sound. It's just... And there's a few bands that are like that. But I love this stuff. I've been taking my time just so you know uh, the number one was what's going on there's things I read in that article I had no idea that what's going on was like offered to like three or four people before Marvin Gaye did it and it was turned down by like some big names and that's just nuts Marvin you know transitioning from his being on Motown and tra- transitioning into you know during that whole time period and era the, the Motown era sound to that Barry Gordy was definitely very um uncomfortable about it when it was getting made it was talking about the movement you know at that time mm-hmm. that to me is one of the best songs ever written it's definitely in one of my top 10 songs of all time what's going on you know somebody somebody's pouring out their heart and talking about what's going on in the world you know right now and that people thinking about that shit and how appropriate is that song now more than ever you know yeah I think, <laughs> and i think people would a lot of people might miss the meaning today if they don't pay attention to like exactly. what's going on in the lyrics i mean he may have always been political, but I mean, when you make that firm stand, I think people then accuse bands of, uh-huh. like, jumping on a bandwagon. It's like, you still hear people accusing Pearl Jam of, like, getting political when they've been deeply involved with politics for 30 years. It's like, you can't... When's Pearl Jam never been a political band, you know? Yeah. It's Eddie like, Vedder from day one has always been that. It's way. like, everyone's entitled to their opinion, don't uh-huh. get me wrong, but it's like, don't call a band out if they've always said something. Uh-huh. It's a little less... It's more disingenuous now if, like, say, a Justin Bieber comes out and releases, like, a protest yeah. album. It's like... Oh, I'm sure it'd get a lot of attention. It would get a lot of attention, but he's never previously yeah. said that. He's never said maybe anything on Twitter uh-huh. or, like, anything on any And he would probably lose a fan base because of that, you know? And, like... Like, you know, remember, it's like the whole Dixie Chicks thing, yeah, you know? Yeah, it's I like... Mean, whatever, they were all this, and then all of a sudden they yeah, started speaking out yeah, their it's like Yeah, it's like, whatever you agree with is what you agree with, whatever you disagree with, but uh-huh. it's hard. Like, if you've made that stand since day one, then... Yeah. Embrace it, but don't. As a fan, don't call a band out if it's always been there. Like, yeah, yeah. And it's funny as that. I'll, I'll wrap this up with the what's going on. But Marvin Gaye did not write this song, you know. And I think people need to be aware of that. It was um, Ronaldo um, Obi Benson from the Four Tops. He was a, a, a bass singer in that uh, that band. He was the one that originally wrote that song, and he was the one that shopped it around to different people. Well, at that time, a lot of those artists didn't write a lot of their biggest songs. They kind of. Mm-hmm would call in they could maybe fix a line or two but like a lot of it was just written by writers and then really written by studio musicians who went in and just kind of played and they singers would just show off and sing another track yeah. and that'd be it they didn't really have a whole lot of mm-hmm. input on what their album was yeah. so. and it happened a lot with the early on music people don't realize that you know whether it was Sun, the Sun Records period whether it was like Motown like we talked about or Brill Building or you know even like early day Beatles like their yeah. first couple albums were like half cover songs half original and then when those bands started like, discovering, started experimenting and trying things like the Beatles, they went into the studio and it didn't have to always be straight rock and roll. It could have, you know, was a mixture of a bunch of different things. Adding um, Billy Preston to play keyboards or whatever it might yeah. be, you know. I've talked about Pet Sounds before. I think Pet Sounds is one of those albums where it's just, 
it's amazing to me that I didn't appreciate the Beach Boys when I was younger. I always thought, eh, you know, Beach Boys. And then as I got older, I, re you know, realized more and more how their influence was. And then when I went finally took a listen to Pet Sounds when I was older, the engineering behind that album is just amazing. But then you see how long it took and... You know, they, they called, you know, Wilson like the mad genius, you know. Yeah, I grew up, I mean, on hearing their hits on the radio. I mean, so I didn't really explore anything off their albums. Because, I mean, mm -hmm. it kind of was just the same theme of, like, girls, cars, surfing. So it's kind yeah. of like... Yeah, and that's what I thought they were. I thought they were just a pop, you know, band. And then... I mean, that was kind of like the pinnacle. But really beyond that, that was kind of like their one and done was out and beyond. Because after mm -hmm. that, like, Brian Wilson started having his breakdowns. Yeah. And so... Yeah. You can, you know, definitely have an influence on a whole generation yeah. of music, for sure. And I listened to Blue again, um, actually, uh, this past week. I've been listening to, like, Questlove, like I talked about. And now I've heard, like, three or four R&B musicians talk about how Joni Mitchell's, like, been a big influence to them. Mm -hmm. Cross-influential um, music is one of my favorite things. That's how you can create music, too, is by listening to something that's outside your typical genre or expectation. Have you ever given her a listen to? Just kind of like some of the more well-known hits, but like yeah, yeah. It's like she just shows up like in a lot of mm -hmm. best of lists, so it's kind of like she's doing something right. It's yeah. Like, How about Stevie? You ever listen to Stevie Wonder at all? Yeah. I mean, I think everyone's heard a lot of his songs. Just mm -hmm. kind of. Yeah. Do you have a favorite from him? Is it kind of putting in the spot there? Probably Superstition's a good one because I think everyone. That's just a real yeah. kind of fun song, kind of just real. Uh -huh. like genre bending I mean kind of like funk rock a little bit of just everything like how it did so and he's one of these guys too that just revolutionized the whole sound and I mean he he, he has a couple albums in here in the top 25 and th this one here is the the songs in the key of life which I think just an amazing amazing album because he was always able to not necessarily grab onto like whatever the current genre was but he did a good job of at least adapting because I mean yeah. Going from what he did in the 60s and 70s to going to like his real soft, like mm -hmm. adult oriented rock in the 80s. Like, yeah. my share, not like my share, but, uh, I just called to say I love you. Um, obviously, Abbey Road. And I actually listened to that this past week also, too. And it's amazing. I was talking to uh, my buddy uh, Dustin a week or so ago. He brought up that that's his favorite album. He goes, except for Oct Octopus's Garden. <laughs> And so I was back and I was listening to it and uh, yeah, it's, you know, one of the more cringeable songs on there. It's more poppy and, you know, but I was thinking even Maxwell's Hammer. I was kind of a weak one on there also. It's also kind of a dark song too. Yeah. It's, it's like, a, it's like about a serial, like a serial killer. Yeah. It's like, but I mean like, but everything else in that album is like, wow, when you listen to it, you're just blown away. I, I think those songs still fit it, like both Maxwell's Hammer and Octopus's Girl. I mean, George, George, I mean, George Harrison doing the solo, I mean, yeah. everybody rips on Ringo, but like Ringo's had like the most popular solo career like all the Beatles. Yeah, like, yeah. Because he has his all-star band kind of. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, tour again, he'll probably continue to do great lineups. He's even had, um, I can't think of the guy's damn name now, the guy from Toto, the guitarist from Toto. Oh, uh, or Steve Luca too. Lucicker, it's yeah. Lucicker. You know, people... Don't realize like his influence along with uh, Neil Schoen and Eddie Van Halen, his influence on guitar was amazing. Most people don't realize that he did the entire guitar music in Thriller and that Eddie just did the solo. Yeah. You know, give credit where credit's due. But then like the drummer Jeff Picaro was the uh drummer thing on Thriller as well. So that's a band that I think doesn't get enough attention and respect too is Toto. They get a lot of, you know, slack or some of their popular stuff, but they, they were a great studio band and live band for that matter. Yeah, well, because everyone loves Africa. Yeah. They I, have I, so I many other like, songs. 
But know? I mean, amongst our singles, I still think like Hold the Line is like oh come better song. on, yeah. or like Rosanna, like that oh, yeah. shuffle. It's like yeah. obviously never mind's the number six. A lot of people do the 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 thing against. I've seen a lot lately too, like just people standing up going, oh, he wasn't that important and stuff like that. And I'm kind of like, wow, you know, like. I'll say he wasn't the greatest musician, but I think what he did for music as a whole yeah. was amazing. I, I think today they would probably be a tier below even Pearl Jam. I think they'd be a band that could go out and play shows, but they probably wouldn't, they probably wouldn't have near their impact today. I, I think we discussed it last time. I think like, even at the time, like Pearl Jam and Soundgarden were just like, bolting past Nirvana in terms of what was happening you know it's just yeah I think it would have been interesting to see what Kurt would have done solo wise if he would have or went off and did other things yeah he might have went off and made like a folk rock album exactly I think he just kind of did what he wanted Uh but it's just I I mean we could still say like Dave Uh Grohl was the heart and soul of that band life played an interesting course in what happened so yeah. with with our loss with kurt we gained dave you know and his foo fighters and yeah and it's some of the best rock music that's out there in my opinion yeah dave i i went through you know because ever since the new album came out and i went through some of the other material and stuff like, i usually do that with artists when they come out with their new album they'll go back and i'll listen to it and kind of compare it i did it with Gigaton last year with Pearl Jam. I like to see like how they come as an artist, and you can like when you listen to these albums sometimes you can see where their influences are mm. from when they grew up, whether it was punk or pop or rock. You can see like with some of these rock bands their influence on their music. No, yeah, yeah, I, I fully agree with that. I mean, yeah. I what your influences are as a twenty year old versus now Dave Grohl's in his fifties. Like, yeah, I think he can still get better influences from like five ten years ago if he's picking up on stuff he might not have listened to when he was younger. I mean. Yeah. How many people like might not listen to like forty like fifties and sixties country as like a fifteen year old, but then they gain an appreciation and they can kind of apply it to what they want. I mean, everyone always has that age like where they listen to punk music only, and then they discover things beyond that. It kind of and everything, even punk music came from you know a lot of influence from the fifties rock and stuff. Yeah. I watched also he uh, dropped in the twentieth uh, day girl this thing that was on YouTube that talks about the how he came up with Everlong that whole song process. How he was in the studio recording something else. And then he was messing around on the guitar. Oh, I think he, I read this. Yeah, like he doesn't even know like the names of the chords. Like yeah, he's, he's just like, yeah. and I hear that from musicians all the time. Like, and it just came to him, and it's like one of those songs. It can be played rock, and it can be played, you know, acoustic and, and quiet. It's I love those songs that can be dual kind of songs. I think of a lot of times. I think he probably writes it acoustically, and they could bring it electric. A lot of bands have done that. Yeah, it's so. very rare. I like both versions equally. I'll like something okay, like rock, and they'll do it acoustically. I'm like, wow, that's you know amazing that rendition of that. But I think to that extent, like, and obviously playing music, I yeah. think that like if you strip down some songs to acoustic, mm-hmm. they just have no feel to it. It's like you just realize like what sounds like an awesome part is just a guy just hammering on one chord throughout yeah, the song. Yeah, like acoustic really will separate you from somebody who can't play guitar because you'll start hearing things that you can't yeah. cover up with. Yeah, distortion. So, like, if you make a mistake on acoustic, you're more likely to hear it play that over like electric. So, props to people that can do that for yeah. sure. Of course, Dave Matthews is a case. I mean, he's so low in the mix when he's playing, you can't really hear his playing versus around the band. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he can make mistakes. You're not going to hear him as much. I mean, what's your just, favorite album of theirs? I'd say probably before these crowded streets. I mean, that's kind yeah. of another one where it kind of like flow. I mean, even then, like that first side A of the album, they kind of like flow together when it goes uh-huh. from like. Like, The Last Stop and, like, Don't Drink the Water, kind of just, like, they have those yeah. little seeds in between songs. 
Yeah. I'm hoping that this band Fretland comes through here. They dropped the, their new album on Friday. And I got turned on to them by just going through uh, Apple's new music. They've been promoting that album for the last couple months, coming out. So I'm hoping they come through. I don't know if you ever checked them out yet. They're really good. Mm -hmm. They're they're uh, like an acoustic um, indie band. They're pretty yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to see, especially given who wants to go tour. I mean, a lot of bands want to get back touring, but they don't want to necessarily deal with the logistics yeah. of, I'm going out on tour, I'm going to come home and get my family sick. It's just like, yeah. what do you want to do? can be disheartening you know going out right now and it's just not going to have to turn out like you would well because especially if you're supposed yeah. to limit i mean yeah. if you as a band have have a guarantee of ten thousand dollars a show and you're only able to book like 25 percent of a normal show yeah what what's the promoter going to do the well, well i think i'm going to love and i know you're going to love is that at a point when all of this is said and done you're going to see so many shows there's going to be one thing after another yeah. after another and it's going to be like oh that's going that's going oh my god I got to go to that I got to go to yeah. this you know because I mean because like the whole like Sean Moeller helped like like expose Dolls who like Day uh -huh. Trotter uh, yeah. Nathaniel Rateliff like bands that have like been on Saturday Night Live and have done things like yeah. they came through here in their earlier days I mean oh, yeah. I think I told yeah. you before like Vampire Weekend played a Thursday night like quick set down at Huckleberry's in the district and, like a few weeks later they were on the, the late show it's just like nuts dude like, so it's, I love that. I love that, that that's yeah. coming through on it, you know. And I think that's one thing that this area, even for that matter, doesn't. There, there's a big undertone music scene here. I mean, it may not be as big as you know the next you know Seattle or Austin, but it definitely has a scene here. But you know what though? I mean, the bigger the bigger pond you get in, like it's harder to be a fish in that pond. I mean, yeah, it's a smaller pond, but. Why couldn't equal. we? Why couldn't we break some bands out of here, though? That's the thing, you know. I think I, they're. I think they're working on getting it done. I mean, Margot yeah. Price, but I think she left here and went down to Nashville. But yeah. I mean, she at least will acknowledge her roots. I mean, yeah. some people want to divorce themselves of where they were from, and yeah. then. But I mean, she's came through here. She's done shows here. So like, mm -hmm. Lizzie's another one. Like, yeah. she went out to California, but has come back. She lives in somewhere in like northern Iowa, but like she comes back here once or twice a year to play shows. And like, and I think that would be important for an artist to do is that Prince in Minneapolis. Right? Like, you know, you you know Prince is from Minneapolis. Like, what other big bands are from Minneapolis? Replacements, yep. uh, mm -hmm. Semisonic. Uh -huh. uh, Can you think of bands that are like so to where like you know like a bunch of from New York and a bunch from LA. I like, I would love the idea, this is where I'm getting at with this, is like if somebody really big broke out of here, that they stayed and they kept on trying to help build the whole area. I saw Wolfgang on the Kimmel a couple weeks back, his new band, um, Eddie's, you know, did mm -hmm. I bring that up to you? No, but I, I, I saw like they were talking about like he doesn't want to really do any of his dad's stuff just because yeah. he doesn't feel he can live up to it. He's That's got more some good pipes on him too, I was like mm -hmm. really impressed with his voice, so... I like that. I like, you know, I mean, Jacob, obviously, you know, with the wallflowers and stuff like that. He had a big, you know, you know, shadow looming over him. But yeah, but like, like their band's rival, I think it said like Bob Dylan specifically requested that he put it in there, like not the market is like, I'm Bob Dylan's son. I mean, it's yeah. kind of like, yeah. well, I don't think he ever did. I don't think he's ashamed no. of it, but like, no. I think you don't want, I think you want to get fans coming there because they're, you're playing, not... Yeah. Yeah. Not because they see the name like oh. Especially if you're in a band and you're you know, the rest of the guys are playing better than you, and just because your dad was famous or something. And I mean, like they that. kind of fell off. I mean, they played River Roots a couple years ago, and yeah. it was just like, and that time, and like I didn't even know that until I left the show. But like, you know who was drumming for them on that tour? Uh -uh. Jack Irons was their drummer at that time. Wow, really? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, I, not, 
I, I think that's nuts because Jack left because he didn't want to tour. <laughs> yeah, well, like, I guess I'm, I guess at their level of touring, yeah, when you're touring like, like, like Australia yeah, and then yeah, like Europe, world like, tours, yeah. But there are keyboards in the Foo Fighters. Uh, is the keyboards in the Foo Fighters now? Ramy Jaffe. Oh yeah, yeah. wow. And I think he's now like considered a permanent member. I mean, yeah. he was for a time just like that's a what I love studio. about that too is that. Like they're in the tr- the band photos, you see that like him now. Yeah, I had this little talk. Like you may have seen, I posted on my Facebook a couple days ago about like the whole Maroon Five. Like their first two albums were fantastic, but now it's become like the Adam Levine show, where it's just like, yeah. I mean, I know some of the band members just because of the yeah. reading articles about him, but like nobody knows who James Valentine is. Like you uh-huh. say that name, it's like who is he? Yeah, I noticed that with like the bands like the Killers and stuff too and somebody will leave the band and then they'll bring somebody else in but then it's like they're not in the photos they're not part yeah. of the it's like they're a studio musician coming they're, to do it. they're yeah. not part of the band well, because their guitarist has come back to the band now on this new album I think he sat out for a couple years yeah, yeah. so Dave Cooney I think is his yeah, name. yeah 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 like but, I've, and I've seen them twice like they put on a good show well, here's the thing. The reason I bring this up, too, is because a lot of people give Pearl Jam shit because Boom's not part of the band. He's just a touring, you know, keyboardist. Like, I bought that shirt that you saw last time, and I posted that I got it, and everybody's like, well, what's Boom? Part of the touring band. He's not, you know, he's not the part of the band. But I think he's happy with that. Like he. Well, and I know that, but it's amazing how fans will do shit like that. It's like, calm down. All right, just slow your roll, you know, like, because I'm sure, like, the band was like, what the hell, you know, like, cringe on shit like that. Or, or maybe they just don't give a fuck. He's, he's getting paid enough to go out on tour. Like, even if he's yeah. not, even if he says, I'll do it for free, he's yeah. sick. He comes out every night and plays with the band. If you're coming out and not, like, leaving the band and not, I think he enjoys what he does. I think, exactly. And I get that. And I, I say, I know, I, I know this is the way it's set up and that's the way it is. I hate when fans hold bands accountable in shitty ways like that. And I'd like to say it was, <laughs> and I'd like to say it was something like Eddie met him because like Eddie lives some of the year in Hawaii. He just met him like I guess had a bar, saw him playing like at a yeah. bar or something like that. Yeah. And he just asked him to join, you know. It's exactly, like, you know, and it's like, it's just, some of these fans get into their head their own ideas and then social media, you know, they, they think they're voicing their opinion on something that's, I get it, you have your opinion, but sometimes your opinion isn't valid. I mean, and, and they've had a, talking back to like consistent lineups I mean they've had a pretty consistent lineup now 22 23 years I mean yeah like since Matt Cameron came in like after yield well it it's funny like, like on my fan site too there were some people have been ripping on him and I'm like you know like wanting um Dave back so I finally posted one day it's amazing how people just want attention just for making a statement because you don't know what's going on you don't know the deal just take your social media stance and calm well, down I see that argument all the time it's like Matt Cameron is like one of the best drummers in the exactly. world exactly like, but it's just amazing how a forum like that how people just try to like you know they're, they're more they're more creative I, I like to say like negative shit out there like we don't need negative shit you know just you don't know their situation. You don't know what's going on. Just let them or do their you, thing. Or if you do, like you read, like the Foo Fighters, like William Goldsmith didn't play on any of the albums. Like yeah, he toured briefly and then he just left the band before Color and Shape because Dave yeah. just didn't like his drum parts. Yeah, he went back and re- I read a couple articles. On and that. then Dave, and then Dave says, yeah, it wasn't the right thing to do now, but that was twenty five years ago. It's like, but then look who he found. Yeah, Taylor Hawkins. You know, I mean, an amazing just, drummer. But fans say he did him dirty. It's like. He, he admits that he didn't do the right thing, but just didn't fit the feel of the band. But he also didn't feel comfortable. Here's the thing. I think that if you step up and you're a better musician and you're part of that unit, then 
then you should be, you know, like it's your band, you can do whatever you want. But if they're a key instrument on what your sound is, then that should be part of the band, part of the press, part of everything. If you can go do your own thing and they're just, you know, they're there to, to help you tour and just kind of like, hey, go do this. Okay, different story. But if they're a key instrument in what you're doing, then I think that they should get their dues. I think that they should be part of, here's an example right here, <laughs> right there in front of us. How many times has that lineup changed, huh? Quite a few. Yeah. Like... We're looking at Fleetwood Mac, yeah. a picture of Fleetwood Mac and Rumors. That, that You talk about a lineup that's changed and how sounds change. And I will say, and I think we had this talk before, but like about me giving Stevie Nicks someone overdue, but I think like Christine McVie is like the soul yeah. of that band, like well, just what she's done. Uh -huh. and she's, she and uh, Fleetwood and John McVie have been the consistent members for 50 years in that band. Yeah. Well, and when she she, stepped, she, left, she left for a little bit. Yeah, but. she stepped away and then has come back again. Um, but she still has more cumulative time. The three of them, yeah, yeah. The three of them have been the... Have been in the band the longest. It's yeah, like... Yeah. And then I always tell you there's two different Fleetwood Macs. Yeah, I There's mean, the Peter Green and then there's the the Buckingham Knicks. Yeah. You know, so. I, I think that band would have been regarded well if they had never come along, but they would not have been as big as they, they are. are. I think a lot yes. of it has to do with Lindsey Buckingham. Like, yeah. Oh, come I mean, on. I mean, I read these stories about like he wanted to take some time off to just work on his album, kind of like recharge, and then Stevie wanted to go out. Uh -huh. They didn't agree. She said, "I'm leaving the band," or he leaves the band, so they have to look bad and fire yeah. him. Yeah. So it's like, and then like, well, six months later, he has a heart attack and almost dies. And then how on earth? Like Fleetwood and like Christine McVie. Well, uh -huh. he and Christine McVie recorded an album like not yeah. soon after he left the band, but. I think he, I think they all want to go along and play with Lindsay. I mean, it, but yeah. pretty telling that it took them two members to replace the one member they lost, Lindsay. Oh Buckingham. come on! They have, having to get like well, they had to get guitarists and somebody to do vocals. Mike obviously. Campbell and Neil Finn. Yeah, two like, two great musicians. Two, who are two great ones? Like yeah. if it takes two great musicians to equal one even yeah, better yeah. musician. Oh, he just, is one of the most underrated guitarists, I think. Well, he had yeah, like he's he's in that realm for me as one of the most underrated. Well, because he's. Like, I wish Argo was here with us because Argo would love this conversation. <laughs> well, we'll have to we'll have to we'll have to get together with. Yeah, I think time. we might do that next. But uh, time. I mean, Lindsey Buckingham was a trained banjoist. I mean, so that's why he's so good at the finger picking. He and uh, mm -hmm. Mark from Dire Straits, they hardly ever play with a pick. Like that's all yeah. like finger style guitar. I know, Mark. Mark, I've seen Mark live too, and he is. Amazing, amazing. Which would lead me to believe he probably learned that. I mean, like, it's yeah. just like the whole phrasing and like having to realize playing without a pick is, especially doing yeah. what they do. And there's another the guy that, that did it for the art too, Mark. He didn't do it for like, because they had their biggest album, you know, Dire Straits. And then he went and did all this other stuff that was more guitar oriented, whether it was the soundtrack to, you know, Princess Bride, whether it was doing an album with Chet Aikens. I mean, he, he it was to him, it was about the music. And he could have made another pop Dire Straits album, you know, after that huge album. But no, he wanted to do it for the art. Yeah, I think that was the creative peak. I mean, like, if you think about it, like, Fleetwood Mac only had, like, three peak albums. I mean, mm -hmm. they had their self-titled, first with the Buckingham and Knicks, and then uh, Rumors, and then Really Tusk. And, like, after that, they had a little bit of, like, Tango in the Night and yeah. Mirage, but... But then you look back at their catalog of stuff they did with Peter Green, there's a lot of stuff in there that was influenced by a lot of musicians. Um, speaking of um, musicians, uh, Carlos Santana with Black Magic Woman. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, you know, everybody thinks that's a, uh, a Santana song. That's a 
That's a Fleetwood Mac song, you know. It's, well, then I think a lot of things people don't even realize about Santana growing up is like he didn't sing any of that. Like you, you grew up thinking like this is Santana singing. It's like no, like he has like different vocalists that yeah. always featured on his albums. It's like oh, it's, he's he's a guitar. I think it's awesome. Is that that's the guitarist band? It's like Van Halen, you know. It's the guitarist band, yeah. Santana, you know. Eddie Van Halen, Van Halen, you know, it's like, I love that, that, you know, a musician gets the, gets the... Or Jay Giles, to an yeah, extent. I mean, exactly, he did, yeah. this is Peter Wolf who sang a lot of their stuff. I was thinking about, too, is like the Kinks, you know, like, that's, that's one of those bands, too, with Ray Davies in there, is that they're one of those bands that you can go say, you know, the Beatles, Rolling Stone, Led Zeppelin, but, f- but Kinks was like yeah, a friend of huge mine, influence to a Yeah, lot. a friend of mine, Chris, who sings in the band Crash, who Paul draws yeah, with. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like, he worships at the altar of the Kinks. Like, yeah. And, and Genesis, like, just like a lot of that. Like, oh, hell yeah. Like, like Peter Gabriel ears and or... Uh, I, think, I think both. Like, both I, 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 like, like yeah. they, uh, a couple years ago, when they had the Day Trotter space downtown, like, for the Halloween show... The mm-hmm. Dawn did uh, Lamb Lies on Broadway. Oh, yeah. They did songs off of that, like Abacab, but like Chris came out and did some songs on those. For, Would he for dress them. up too for yeah. it? Would he dress up as? Oh, uh, Ray, whoever he is, like the character of Lamb Lies on Broadway. Nice. So. Yeah, cool. But see, that's the thing too, is that you get a lot of these bands that the, the musical artists or the bands, you know, pay homage to that may have not went and sold, you know, well, Kinks sold a pretty good amount of albums, but, you know, there's a lot of bands out there that influence the bands, like we talked earlier, like Mud Honey and Screaming Trees. There's always bands out there that give a base for the other artists and when they broke, you know, like if it wasn't for that one band, that sound may have not came out from that band you liked. I think it's just kind of like being in the right place at the right time, though, too. I mean, just think about how many bands early 90s were 100 times better than Pearl Jam, but Pearl Jam just got the attention, I mean. Yeah, and that's one of those bands that I'm a fa- that's my favorite band. I, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? So I'm impartial. But you listen to each one of those albums, and you can at least pick off of each one of those albums. There's a, there's a hit song off each one of those albums, for starters, yeah. mm-hmm. right there. I love that they all have these different influences, that made these albums. Like when you listen, I, th- I think I've said this before and I'll say it again, is that when you listen to Gigaton, you hear like, you know, the Talking Heads, you hear some punk, you hear like a lot of different sounds of rock and roll in that album. And it's awesome. Like every track is almost different. You know? Yeah. Like when we go back to the Radiohead thing, like I think Pearl Jam's kept a little bit of their sound, but they expand upon it. They kind of go back to certain themes throughout their albums, but like they don't try and flip the script on each album. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, you're never gonna get another ten. You're not gonna get another verses. Like yeah. they're just or even biology for that matter. Biology, like was, I think that was like their kid A, where they just kind of mm-hmm. like, at that point they were suing Ticketmaster. They were kind of alienating fans. I mean, it's a great fucking album, man. But I mean, like after you sell like ten million copies of your first two albums, like where you got to go? But there, like go like that. I mean, yeah. And how many? I mean, and then you're gonna go release some like no code. It's like something that's just really. Yeah. At that point, that kind of like planted the flag of like, you're either going to okay. file the band or you're going to... Well, let's talk about this, okay? This is what... Who... It was... I think it was Howard Stern was talking about the Rushmores, you know, or the... You know, so you got the Beatles, right? Mm-hmm. You got the Rolling Stones. And we'll probably go all over the place here. You got Led Zeppelin. You got Pearl Jam. You have Metallica. Metallica is one of those bands tied in with all those bands. 
They have a catalog of albums. Mm -hmm. They can tour the world. They like I heard um, Rogan say, Joe Rogan say, they could go to Mars and people would probably follow them Mm -hmm. there to go see that tour. I would say Elvis. I mean, yeah, Elvis. Or we can do solo artists too. Yeah, totally different genre. But I mean, Elton John. Like you can't discount what he's done. Like I think he would be Billy Joel, obviously. Queen. Queen was another big one. Pink Floyd, I mean... Oh, Pink of. Floyd, definitely, yeah. You know, at their peak, selling out arena catalog. And then they have a catalog. They have two of the best-selling albums of and, all time. And they were another well, one... Well, Fleetwood Mac, there they, we go. And they were another one of those bands that were like a Fleetwood Mac, Pink Floyd, because they had like the Sid Barrett era, then they had kind of David Gilmore coming in to replace them, so... We have Bob Dylan. And that's the thing, too, is that you're going to have... Uh, with, when you say Bob Dylan, you're going to have like... A lot of people, like, you're going to have a lot of people that say no because he sucks singing. But you have to understand that this guy and his catalog of music, like, his catalog of music yeah, I think the whole, is nuts. I think the whole of his catalog warrants him being up there, but, I mean, it's hard to take, like, one extreme example. And he has like, a big fall. He, sing, he doesn't sing like he used to, but it's like Willie Nelson. There, Willie Nelson's going to be another one, too. Cause, but I think Dylan really peaked at least, like, in the commercial sense, like, probably the mid-70s because then he kind of fell into obscurity like Prince Prince is Prince up is there one. Michael Jackson he's up there and it's another guy if he was alive would sell out you know maybe not here you know yeah he probably would here you know, he, he would here yeah, yeah, it'd yeah, be like yeah. a Paul McCartney show but I mean yeah. it would just be and this is something I wanted to get at at some point too but since we're on this topic here is that there's the bands that that mattered I love I'm using that for this too the, the only band that mattered was considered The Clash. Them, to me, like we were just talking about um, bands that influence other bands. That band influenced so many bands, like Raids Against the Machine. Um, I mean, there's so many bands. Like, Loven, like they come on. Have you they? Know? Did, have you ever covered like White Man and Hammersmith Pally? Like uh-uh, they, they uh-uh. did that. They do a really. They was on a Clash tribute album too yeah. so that they released. I think I ever brought this up to you. Joe's my favorite person of yeah, all time. Yeah, yeah, you told me. Yeah, so. I just think the like an Eddie Vedder. Like and even when people when I people say this cringe when I say this, Bono. He was a he was a guy that took his voice okay I'm going to stand up for what I believe in so yeah, whether he, you agreed with it or not exactly like you know but he didn't call you out if he didn't agree he just said exactly. here's where I stand you can stand with me or against me but this but, is just and I love that like you, you you look up some old interviews with like arguing with like an interviewer you know and shit and like he spoke his mind he didn't be he was never a puppet uh-huh. and he to me he was you know even his solo stuff to me and in my in my opinion was some good stuff I, I really miss him I wish he, he was one of, I have two artists that Artists that are no longer with us, I would go see in a heartbeat if they did a live show, and I would go as far as I had to go to go see them. Would be Bob Marley and Joe Strummer, easily. Mine would be Tom Petty because like he was just one of those ones I want to see all of a sudden, like one yeah. day. It's just like, oh, there we go, Tom Petty. Would see, but there's one that's too. It's Tom Petty. It would be in the middle, in between the bands and the artists because he had Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And then you have stuff where we did like Wildflowers, where it was like it, yeah. it might have had bit pieces from well, some of the some of the heartbreakers, but, but it wasn't. But Mike was helping him still with a lot of that yeah. stuff. Something I wanted to talk about too is that does tragedy play a part in somebody's art, like Trent Reznor and you know Nine Inch Nails? Do you think that you are best when you are in your darkest? Can you think of like like I just said, like Trent Reznor and some of his darkest days made some of the best music? Can you think of other artists in their darkest days making some of their best music? Like at Nirvana, never mind, you know, I mean, or In Utero, sorry, I meant to say In Utero, you know, he was dealing with a lot of shit during that time, and, 
he made that. But this, this, can you think of any other bands that did bands or artists for that matter that made creative music through their pain? I mean, I would say probably Lennon and McCartney, like post Beatles breakup, when they had like mm -hmm. McCartney, and then they had like John Lennon's Imagine. I mean, yeah, and like. George Harrison, like all things must oh, pass. Oh come like, on, jeez, yeah. But I mean, as long as you're like leaving like your issues at the end of the music. I mean, I don't want to have you as a tortured person like talking to you at a table. I, like, yeah. Like make your art on stage, kind of express yeah. yourself. But it's like uh -huh. if you're a killjoy on and off stage, it's kind of well. Like, I think we have a great example of who that is now. Billie Eilish does that with her music. Mm -hmm. I think like, she does a great job with it. Yeah, it's like the stage should be a way to let your emotions out, but it's like. If you can't leave your emotions on the stage, uh -huh. then it's like you're not that kind of like you want to be that killjoy to talk at the party that's just always like doom and gloom. It's like yeah. the music should be a reason to get your feelings out. Yeah. You, you uh -huh. have an outlet for getting rid of your feelings. Well, I'm going to transition to even something again with that topic. Like Tori Amos and Sarah McLaughlin, for example. And they're two that were really big in the 90s. Listening to um, Fumbling Towards Ecstasy, I listened to that again a couple weeks ago again by Sarah McLaughlin and there's a song on there about her stalker that she had and uh, I think that that was probably one of her biggest and most emotional songs she ever had it's amazing to me when somebody can well, take wasn't that like building a mystery was that the one they that was the album right after okay. that uh, Fumbling Target Ecstasy was right before that and it had um, I can't think of it so that that song is Possession I like when artists do things like that that they'll take a situation or incident that happened to them and they'll make some of their best art from that. I mean, a lot of musicians and artists do that, you know, with tragedies and yeah. and things like that. And I think I think even back then, obviously, like we weren't privy to like these artists' life. I mean, I think it's the balance between keeping yourself available for your fans and like keeping mm -hmm. it all tied up. I mean, that was like early to mid '90s. Like you wouldn't know anything about a stalking case today. You would hear about it and Harvey, like be, it, yeah. within 24 hours. I mean, but it's nice today. Like even if it's just like a fan, like a corporation managed like artist page like there's like some artists that are literally on their instagram their facebook mm -hmm. like say hey good yeah. show when you're in my town they'll like it they'll yeah sometimes there's too much information getting put out yeah but i mean know. being connected to your fans is something that's important mm -hmm. i think a lot of artists are embracing that now is like mm -hmm. the the whole business has shifted but it's like but then a lot of times too they'll have like a pa that will go through and do all that for them you know they'll go read all the crazy shit and all the yeah at the same time it's like some are leaving it open, some aren't leaving it open enough. I mean, like, yeah. Chris Cornell is a sad example. I mean, uh -huh. like, the guy could have reached out to his fans, just, like, but he had to keep that brave face on. But, like, you yeah, have other artists are just constantly posting their, their sob story. So it's kind of yeah. like you have to meet that middle line between, like, yeah. how much you need to talk about it yeah. and not get help or at least be like, hey, get a hold of this person, get a hold of that person. Like, well, that's the thing, too, is that oh, let's delve into this even more when people on social media will beat somebody up because of the way they act and their opinion. Like, oh, they're a snob, or they're a, they have their egos too big, or they're coming across as an asshole or a dick or whatever like that. That's your ma It's a magnifying glass magnifying whatever that day or that incident mm -hmm. that might approach that characterization of them. Yeah, I mean, but it's nice, too, like, if you see a lot of people commenting, like, maybe 
turn the focus back yourself be like do i need to work on these things like a, mm-hmm. some people just can't see that then but that's the thing is i've listened to people's podcasts that will say i won't even read anything on my social media because it just it brings me down some people will go i will do it only during certain times because i wait until i'm ready for that moment and then you see people like john mayer who pretty much like uh-huh. exposed like he had to take a step back stop recording he said like i'm gonna get help because I, yeah. i'm like a egomaniac i have to be yeah and he, he seems to be adjusted now, kind of doing his thing. But, I mean, like, there was a time where he was kind of a douche like everybody. You know, so His book will be real interesting one day on that level. I mean, I want to hear all about the musical influence. But then but... I was, like, recording with the, the dead. So, I mean, I think oh, he's getting grounded. I mean, he's getting grounded. Yeah. He's, and he's come out with a new album. So it's kind I'm of... really excited after all this dead stuff to hear this new album. Well, they, they did post. He did post, like, a clip online, like, some, like, TikTok videos. And, like... I have liked his last few albums that haven't gotten a lot of attention, man goes in the studio and actually makes some decent decent music yeah like he'll write like a like a puffy pop song just to kind of but his guitar playing too i mean he's a great guitar another young great guitarist who doesn't get the attention yeah and then he'll go back and do like the blues stuff like play with the dead like he he knows like a guitar solo is not going to sell records or get radio play i think he kind of meets at the two ends like he he has the tools and can use them. He just chooses not to. We think about this as something that even in our later years here, in the next 10, 10, 15, 20 years, when we see like Bob, you know, Bob and Phil and all those guys move on, and it'll be interesting to see like John and his, it won't be under that title, but it'll be like something that he does touring. Like all the like the musicians and stuff that he can even get with him. That legacy is what I'm getting at. He's going to be able to continue a legacy of live music. Yeah that needs to be out there as far as the jam scene goes. I think, too, is like he came up with a lot of that, probably, like, listening to the blues growing up, like Stevie mm-hmm. Ray Vaughan listening to the Grateful Dead. I mean, yeah. if he's well, asked to join the band, it doesn't seem like a mismatch. Like, they were just like, hey, do you want to join our band? He probably met them and jammed yeah. out with them to get to that point, you know? It seems mm-hmm. like, at, at first, you're like, why is John Mayer playing with, like, the many members of the Grateful Dead? It didn't sound like a... Uh-huh. And, and now it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, you brought up uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan. That, that is... An interesting uh, segue here is that, um, back to Pearl Jam again, I always do this, but I was reading this article um, on, so Mike McCready, you know, was playing guitar, and then at one point, just put it away. And then he went and saw Steve Ray Vaughan play one summer, and, like, it just clicked with him, and it just changed him, and, like, like, it was a fire, dude. It just influenced him. It's amazing how an artist can do that. Well, he talks a lot. Like, I got this month's issue of, like, Guitar Player yeah, Magazine. Yeah, yeah. And they were... I'll over he, here this. And, like, I'll have to see like, if they have the links. But, I mean, he just mentions, like, all of his playing, like, how he just... Like, in black, like, how he just started doing, like, little, like, Stevie Ray Vaughan-inspired, like, licks behind what, like, Stone was playing. Because Stone wrote, uh-huh. like, a lot of those parts. Like, or, like... Yeah. Or, like, not, like a live. Like, a lot of that was yeah. written by Stone Gossard, but then... He would just add these little parts to it to kind of like spice it up, like yeah. not trying to be mm-hmm. mimic him on stage, but like he does Mike's thing and then Stone does Stone's thing. They kind of intertwine. Yeah, together. play off each other, which is important. I mean, they're totally two different kinds of style. Well, two different personalities playing um, two different kinds of way of playing guitar and playing two different guitars because yeah, like yeah, usually Stone will do like Les Paul and then like Michael play like the Strat and kind of. Mm-hmm. They kind of switch around too because you get two different distinct sounds out of those instruments. So yeah, but no, isn't that cool? That like, who knows what would have happened if he didn't never once seen him? You know, he wouldn't. Yeah. Be, we wouldn't like place its course. That's why I'm really big on that whole. You know, wherever the road leads you, thing can play and doesn't have to play with music. Can play anything in life. Yeah, but it's kind of weird. Like you never know where your road's gonna go. 
who, who, um, Billy, Billy's stepping into this like iconic stage, I think, quite a bit right now. Um, but it'll be interesting. I don't think I don't think she's gonna be Alanis. You know, like Alanis Morissette had like you know a lot of people's opinion had that one album, and it was hard to follow up with that album afterwards because it was so mm. huge. But I think it'll be interesting with like Billie Eilish just because like attention spans so they just aren't what they were. So it's mm-hmm. like. I'm talking about she's got a big fan base. After watching that documentary on Apple mm-hmm. Music, dude, she's got a huge fan base. But they're just one step away from somebody else coming around. That's what I'm saying. It's yeah. like you're just hoping and like wishing you're nothing but success. But like, yeah. given the attention spans, like how like her her how big will her second album be? See, yeah. but I'm just but it's in terms of like what. The well, fan base and, will but do. yeah, that's the interesting thing too is that. I think there's a lot of things that are going to be interesting in the next few years with that, with even with her brother. You know, are the two of them going to always stay together and make music together? Is her brother going to create? He's already created other stuff with other people. Is he going to, you know, be able to create somebody else's big career? You know, like his sister. I think he'll do a lot of production. I think yeah. it's just like production. Production and songwriting is where the money's at. Like, are if you're good at doing stuff like that and getting someone in the studio and going, hey, let's try this out, like a Rick Rubin or you know. Don was or like whoever you know I think Brendan O'Brien you know yeah. um, there's, there's these guys that just are able to go in the studio and go hey let's let's see what we let's do with this you know let's let's try this out uh, Butch Vig you know yeah. I mean Butch Vig made some great shit yeah he sold tours with garbage when they yeah, go out so that's the thing I, and unless what I'm saying also like we're going to tie back even to like uh, you know John Mayer and the Dead's like I love these super groups like even like Oysterhead with. Uh, with uh, Les Claypool, Stuart Copeland, and Phil Lesh, you know, mm-hmm. I love stuff like this. I love like like I love when artists and bands can get together and then create something like different. And uh, Sean Lennon and Les Claypool, experimental rock is really cool in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I mean, who, can you think of any like um, super groups or you know? Groups that got together and created like a different sound and. I mean, it's kind of weird. Like the one that had like. Uh... Adam from like Fountains of Wayne where they did like tinted windows and it was like mm-hmm. James Eha and like the, oh, the, yeah. the keyboardist from Hanson, like one of the Hanson uh-huh. brothers. So I love when you can take it, um, take music and create something with a group of people that's never been done before. It's like a live experience almost, you know, like mm-hmm. when you get like I one year I went and saw um, Jackson Brown, Bruce Hornsby, uh, Bonnie Raitt and David Lindley together. And that, that was a great fucking show. Even like, you know, Mike McCready doing something with Lane Stanley, you know, with Mad Season. Or, you know, the guys doing the, you know, the um, the Temple of the Dog Temple thing. Dog, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's so many ways you can get a different sound and style in music when you just collaborate with people. And I always love hearing about collaborations. Um, any new albums that you have uh, heard come out in the last... Uh, week or two or a month not much I mean it's been hard to kind of follow I mean a lot of the artists have been concentrating mainly on mm-hmm. doing like their live streams because I mean right now like you can release an album but it can be streamed a little bit it's like you're not getting that interest of being able to go to a show it's like I think a lot of artists are probably yeah. either right now writing or they're just waiting to yeah. anybody you're listening wants. to a lot lately that you, you normally do uh, just the same old stuff I mean it's kind of hard to like expand yourself I mean uh-huh. I listen like like last night before I tried to go to bed I ended up turn, turning it off because I, I just couldn't fall asleep but uh like explosions in the sky something kind of like uh-huh. like really kind of like dreamscaping kind of like okay just been like working on like a little bit of my playing on the guitar like some jam yeah. tracks kind of yeah. anybody you like to jam out to like or learn from 
Like, what kind of songs do you usually, like, steer towards? Like, I've been doing, like, a lot of Pearl Jam stuff lately. Kind of, mm-hmm. like, work on, like, bluesing. And um, mm-hmm. John Mayer is always kind of a fun one to do. I mean, yeah, probably should learn some more, like, these country songs. Kind of just, like, maybe up with Ben sometime and play with him. Like, he, like, he just, he, like you said with him, like, he kind of, like, transitioned into playing country. It's just, yeah. It's so like, like tra- changing your styles up and mixing around. You might find a niche of what you want to get into. Yeah, I mean, getting asking getting up on stage or somebody, if they ask you, you know how to play a song, it's like, kind of, like, they mentioned the chords to you or yeah. you're just, like, watching what they're playing, kind of, like, learn on the fly, which is... Awesome. A good way, a good way to learn, but like kind of being more yeah. prepared for that is a very important thing. Like, uh-huh. like sometimes you can fly by the seat of your pants, but like sometimes you just need yeah. a little. But the more you know, the better off you are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it gives, you, it gives you a deeper appreciation for music too. I mean, it's yeah. just kind of. Um, so where are you doing that stuff at? Like uh, still. Uh, so I'm going to like my place. It's in uh, Bettendorf slash Riverdale. Is kind of on. Uh-huh. On 67, going up towards Leclerc a little bit, just right outside downtown. And then, who else? Uh, I've been going to like Unimpaired, which is in Davenport downtown. They do like an open mic. Uh, there's apparently the Monday night one I went to, which had been canceled for a little bit because of COVID, is going to be starting up sometime in May. I believe it's going to be down in O'Keefe's. I mean, I could always follow yeah. up with you, but. No, no, I just like, get it out there too. Yeah. You know? yeah. All right. Well, I want to thank. Uh, JT Money, John Turner, uh, for joining me again today. I always love these little uh, rabbit holes we go down to. And uh, I think next time maybe we will do something with uh, Mr. Argo. So uh, thanks, John. Yeah, thank you very much. Hi, this is Johnny. I'm your host, and you are listening to Music Seeds. The music that made us.